Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is February 8th, 2023. We're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We are glad to be here. We thank you for assembling us together. Father, we uh, come to study your word and we come with a focus to learn from your spirit. We pray that we will have the wisdom from the verses uh, before us. Father, also Dwight has expressed uh, that he was not feeling well this evening. So we're praying for him, asking for healing in this case. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is, Father, but you do. So we pray that your will be done. Also, Father, we pray uh, as we begin this journey, uh, as we, we are moving from chapter 11 to chapter 12, that you will continue to guide and direct our thoughts so that we could stay in tune with what you have written in the Word. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as you know, you know, welcome Bill. We have been uh, studying in Romans chapter 11. And uh, you should have notes, and you should realize through, from the notes, if you haven't, that uh, we've just about done with Romans chapter 11. And it's always bittersweet when we get to these end of chapters. Because it's in one, in one way, it was a chapter was so good, I didn't, don't really want to leave it. But then we got plenty more scriptures to go in Romans, more, just as significant and uh, introspective, uh, contemplative, you know, we, there's a lot to think about in Romans. Paul gives us a working over, uh, mentally speaking, and God is right there with the Holy Spirit just making us understand uh, what what is plain right before us in, in the word so what we, we want to do is get we're already in Romans chapter 11 we're, we're at these last three verses verses 34 through 36 you should have notes let's get to it who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him them for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. There is a natural separation between God and man. Our natures are vastly different and there is no middle ground. He is the creator of all things and we are part of his creation. It's a wonder how Lucifer could have said, quote, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, unquote. That's Isaiah 14, 14. How could a created being not see the majesty, authority, and power of God? Only a mind with over, with, with, uh, with overwhelm, which is overwhelmed by arrogance, could conceive of challenging the source of life. 
quote, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That's Romans 1.20. So, um, actually, only a mind and will overwhelmed by arrogance could conceive of challenging the source of all life. Hmm. Just imagine Satan did that. He said that he, even though he was a creature from God's hand, wanted to usurp God's power. That's almost incredulous to think about, but it happened. This is why we are in this, the mess we're in today. Uh, not just because of Satan, but when we talk about original sin, well, we really need to talk about Satan because the original sin started with him, not Adam. And whatever happened with Adam, obviously, uh, we, we have the results of it for sure. So we're going to get right into it. We've got a few things to cover here, just a few points, not too much, but... We tried to uh, pack in three verses today, 34 through 36. We'll see how it goes. If we make it through, we do. If we don't, we'll continue next week. So this point number one in this first phrase, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? So the first point in this phrase is to note these questions are obviously rhetorical. Now, I shouldn't have to say that, uh, but I think it bears some explanation by saying that these are rhetorical questions. We don't have to go and answer these questions. You know why? Because the answer is already within the question. We know no one knows the mind of the Lord. And we know no one has been his counselor. And we're not just talking about now, right? So we'll get into it as we go. But we're talking about when God crafted all of these things. And what is on display is how he navigated the, the waters of free will, human will, and his sovereign will how that, that all blended together, and we saw it come to fruition in chapter 11. Uh, how God did not cast away Israel. Paul himself is recognizing that he has a new calling. And how Israel's been put to sleep, and then the olive tree, and how we have temporarily taken over Israel's responsibility in terms of being the priest, priest to the world. God's ambassadors, his ministers of reconciliation. And then how all of this happens until all is the church, God is finished with the church. And then what will he do? He will turn right over to Israel and all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, I will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins and their enemies for our sakes, as far as the gospel is concerned, but as far as God's election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. I'm just paraphrasing here, but hopefully you get 
so many twists and turns here in 11 that, again, like last week, we talked about the fact that a doxology here is appropriate. We should be thinking in terms of doxology after we have seen the mighty works and wisdom of God. Oh, and not to forget the phrase, God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he will have mercy on all of them. So, wow, all we can say is God, the mystery is included in here. Uh, what's the fate of Israel? Uh, what is the church's role in all of this? It's amazing what God has done in Romans chapter 11. I know we're not revealing it, but we're sort of, we already just gave a mini review. But just note, these are rhetorical questions. Nobody can tell God what to do. God is in control of things, if we hadn't realized that. So I quoted Satan's arrogance uh, for a reason. Partly is because man has adopted such arrogance. In fact, there are some who even go as far as say, there is no God. At least Satan is recognizing the fact that there is a God. You have people in the uh, human race who deny, uh, in, in the face of God, deny his existence, period. Uh, talk about evil. God is saying, no, no, I, here I created you and you are denying my very existence. Uh, that shouldn't be. So, yes, these nobody has been God's counselor. Let's talk about some of this This phrase, point B, the apostle must have been thinking of this verse in light of the new disclosure. So no one could have figured this out. I'm going to Isaiah 40, 13 and 14 for this thought here. So uh, Isaiah, let's get to it. 40, 13 and 14. Let's look at it. So 13 says, who can phantom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Again, more rhetorical questions. Of course, of course no one can. 40, 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Again, what do we think? We think these are rhetorical questions. Nobody could possibly have done such a thing. And furthermore, it is arrogant to even think that somebody could. But these verses are saying that God is ultimately the source of all wisdom and knowledge and even the source of life. Nobody could craft or design the plan of God in the way that God has. Now, when Isaiah was written, the answer to this is no one. Let's just make sure, make sure we understand this before we go forward. When Isaiah wrote this, the answer is, is rhetorical, saying no one could know. However, um, we must really fast forward to the time when God has this huge disclosure of information called the mystery. 
where he has told us what is going on on the inside. Now, of course, we were not there when he crafted this plan, but he is revealing it to us so that we can understand the motivations and wisdom of God. So let's, in point number C in our notes, the same question is asked in 1 Corinthians, which informs us this is referring to the deep things of God. So I just hope, hope you stay with me here. 1 Corinthians 2.16, God says through the Apostle Paul, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So this verse is saying it, the same thought Paul, when he quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14, the same th- with the same thinking, he's writing here in 1 Corinthians 2.16, who has known the mind of the Lord? And that was true. Nobody, we have to say, nobody knew who, what God was thinking. How could they? It was hidden from the Old Testament. It was not revealed. But notice... At the end of verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is what the spirit of truth is revealing to us as part of what we would call the mystery doctrine, the information that was hidden from all past generations uh, and, and was now revealed after Pentecost. So this is this new age that we live in. We have the mind of Christ. So that means the information, just like we read in John 16, Christ says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So so when the spirit is speaking to us today, and he's informing us of this plan that the father had from eternity past, all of that, resides in the mind of Christ. And the Spirit is making known to us what Christ is, what is a part of his thinking. So that's how we, we, even though we can read these verses like, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Well, he's taking that from the Old Testament. But the reality is, yeah, they didn't know that information, but we do. We didn't know what the fate of Israel is or does Israel have a future. We didn't know anything about the church in the Old Testament. Those questions were not even advanced. But now we do understand how it all works because God has given us this information. That is a part of the mystery. Point point D. Point D. Who has known the mind of the Lord? These are the things, quote, These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And this is right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we're looking at uh, verse 10, right? When it says, things that I haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither have they entered into the human mind. But then verse 10 says, these are the things God has revealed to us. By his spirit. We just talked about the spirit. We have the mind of Christ. Also relate that to what is the deep things of God. 
So nobody knew what these things were. God revealed a lot in the Mosaic Law. I mean, he told us about his character. He, he confirmed salvation because salva people were getting saved before the Mosaic Law came. He confirmed it and gave us greater tools to teach uh, salvation, the law, right, which was the ministry of death, ministry of condemnation. He gave us the understanding of a pictorial view of uh, animal sacrifices and propitiation and, and uh, redemption and reconciliation all through sanctuary services. And for the most part, we're talking about illiterate people, people who could not read. So what did God do? He drew pictures for them through all of these signs uh, these types and uh, shadows of worship where they pointed to greater things. So this is, this is a, a tremendous uh, information uh, that, that God has allowed us to see, a tremendous amount of information when we talk about what the Spirit has revealed. Because uh, So when we talk about what is being revealed, it is not like some disclosure where you know we sit back and wonder yeah that's nice to know God but God is saying let me tell you what I was thinking let me let you in on what my motivations were let me tell you what I wanted before creation I mean for us to know that information and even just to thought that we can know it is intriguing to me we're talking about what was what makes God tick. What what was his intent? What what was his motivation? We could talk about these things when it comes to God, not just people here, but God. And not just well, let me let me tell you about Israel or something. But God is saying, let me tell you about my eternal purpose in all things all things that's to do with creation and everything else so talking about the level of importance if we want to prioritize well this would be the highest priority right here it's even called the deep things of god here in first corinthians 2 10. so when we when paul is saying in romans who has known the mind of the lord who has been his counselor he's saying them that's a, we're supposed to say no one. However, we have the mind of Christ. In this age, this is what happened. God has given us this information. Yes, nobody knew it. He's just accentuating it. It was hidden from ages past and generations, but it is now revealed by means of his spirit. So this, this is this really the, a disclosure that God has chosen to give to us. We're the recipients of it. Point D, that was D. Point E, counselors. Right, when it says counselors here, who, could, who has been his counselors? So if I were to ask this question, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, nobody else was there. We weren't even there when all of this was happening. Generations of humanity have gone off the scene, have passed this off the scene, and none of them knew this information. But now we're at a generation, we're at an age 
where God has told us what he was thinking in all of that. He hid this information. Uh, this is, this is, let me just say this. This is bigger than salvation. I know you might say, well, Doug, you can't, if you're not saved, how can you experience or have anything? Well, this is, when I say this is bigger than salvation, this, God's plan from eternity past, before there was anything, wasn't just to save people. It was this. Now, through it all, there will be those who are saved and there will be those who are lost. Through it all. But this ultimately is, is what uh, the whole creation and everything in it revolves around. That's how we, we have to see how important this is. Yes, some people are going to be lost. But God obviously is saying this is worth it for him to do this. So counselors, uh, only counselors that were there were, were the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God didn't ask us, should he do this? Or the, do we think this is a good plan? We come on board saying, okay, this is the plan. We don't have another plan. We can't go back and talk to God and say, God, what do you, have you considered this option? Or have you considered that? We, we can't do that because we were not there. But what we do know is what he was thinking. Nobody even knew what he was thinking until now. So we are not privy to any discussions, only agreement when it comes to the Father's eternal purpose. We, we didn't know what they came up with. We didn't know. All we, can, all we knew is the result of uh, what their thinking was. And, and that is given to us in terms of a plan. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 7 says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So now we're talking about wisdom here. We're not just talking about some knowledge about salvation or God just giving a... We're talking about wisdom. And we... When it says we, we here in the church, this age, speak a message of wisdom. Now, it is among the mature. We already said it was the deep things of God. So it is not for babies, but it is getting into the very thoughts and motivations and intentions of God's heart. Verse 7, no. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Before time began. Wow. So that's a, that's a thought. So that goes into per, uh, point F. God created a unique plan for the church. Notice he did this before time began. That's 1 Corinthians 2.7. Before the creation of all things. That's Ephesians 1.4 where it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world. God chose us. At this, we're talking about the wisdom of God. It should boggle your mind a bit as you think about such things. 
We can't even think about what happened before the United States was here. We can't. We can't really go back. People are talking about, oh, it was the Native Americans. It was this people or that people. Well, we go back so far, we, we run into, a, into the ground. But God is telling us about things that happened before creation. Now, before creation, before time began, uh, that, there's no way we could have known this information. There's nothing on earth that would tell us this information. The only one who could reveal this to us is God. And he has done just that. This information speaks of that before time began. That's us. And, and to, to even think that we are the center of God's plan in this. Just look at this. No, we declare, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 2, 7. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God, notice, he destined this. In other words, he planned and purposed this. He marked this information out for us, not others, for us. He destined for our glory before time began. Our glory. So we, we've talked about it from other angles. God wants to bring many sons into glory. Right? We're adopted as his sons. Uh, we're the new creation in Christ. Uh, there's a lot of ways we talked about it. Uh, Christ says that they may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. The glory now, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began, Christ said. So we covered a lot of that on Sunday. Uh, some of the thoughts have dovetailed into Wednesday and back again into Sunday. But either way, the, the whole thought is, is that this is a unique plan for the church. Paul is recognizing that. And he's for him to even talk about the mystery, listen, Peter... James, John, uh, Jude, uh, Luke, none of them talk about it like Paul does. Paul says it was a mystery. It was hidden. It's kind of unique. It's a unique metaphor that he is brought forward to teach us how significant this is. Why would Paul talk about it as a mystery? It's not a mystery anymore, Paul. He talks about it this way to help us understand how important it actually is. Nothing, nothing about Israel, nothing about Gentiles, nothing about all that. They had nothing to do with what God is showing us here. So we stand unique. I like what Christ says in John 17. I have given them your, wor your word and the world has hated them. I have chosen them out of the world. They are no longer of the world any more than I am of the world. So we are identified with the person of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We gotta keep going. So let's let's keep going. Uh, so point number two in our notes. So that was who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. We already know no one has. <laughs> but we do know the mind of the Lord now because we have the mind of Christ. Point number two, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Again.
again, we have to start off saying more rhetorical questions. Actually, actually nobody <laughs> has ever given to God that God owes them. So uh, point A, other passages that come to mind when I consider who has ever given to God is Job 35, 7. Let's look at Job 35. Now Job is uh, interesting because I think, let me just get to it here. Job 35 and 7. Here we go. He says, If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? So, one thing about Job, right? So, you got to watch it. Um, and why do I say watch it? I don't mean, hey, some parts of Job, you know, is not true. Other parts are, that's not what I mean. What I mean by when you read Job is you have to know who's speaking. So in 35.7, we should know that Elihu is speaking and not God, but Elihu. So you know the story, Job uh, eventually, you know, with the angels appeared in heaven, Satan appeared among them. Eventually God says, you haven't considered my servant Job. And so uh, God allowed Satan to test Job. He had all these problems and, uh, you know, calamities in his life. And then um, he, Satan went to heaven again, and, and God tested Job even more. So Job was, he was a mess. He had no understand why is all of this happening to me? So three friends came by and tried to comfort Job and give him some, uh, some wisdom from their understanding. And so a lot of Job, you, you could be reading, a lot of it is you'll read what they're saying. Then later there was this young guy named, uh, young man, Elihu. He comes and he talks to Job. So all of, all of this is to say, is just is know, just know who is speaking when you're reading the book of Job so that you don't think, oh, okay, wait a minute, this is, this is what God has said. No, this is what Elihu has said. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Anyway, but listen to what he's saying here. Think about what he's saying in verse 7. If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? In other words, is our being righteous something we owe God? I mean, what? Well, how does God, God benefits because we're righteous? Look, God is the one that has the righteous standard. For us being unrighteous, that's where we're, the way we're born, obviously we are misaligned with God's standards. So if we are righteous, well, that, we're not paying God for that. I mean, this is not something that we're repaying him or we owed him. Well, God demands righteousness, and but he provides righteousness as well. So that's just a thought. That's one of the... That scripture, it made me think of it. But then there's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7, which I know you've read. So we, this one goes like this. Uh, wait a minute, that's 7. Hold on. 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? 
So, in other words, everything we have in, in the human race, in, including our very life, we've received from God. I like the way this verse makes it, makes us understand. What do you have that you did not receive? So, what did you have that you paid God or you gave to him? Nothing. And we are in a position to receive only, nothing we can give to God. God, if we talk about it in terms of wealth, even in the Old Testament, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? There's nothing we can give God that says God, or, or even when it comes to uh, tithing or old, you know, even New Testament giving, which is we give out of our abundance. We give uh, not out of necessity, but God wants us, to, he loves a cheerful giver. Well, we should know that when we give, God doesn't need our money. That's not the reason why we give, because God needs our money. That, that Erase that thought from your mind. He does not need anything from us. We're not paying God when we give, even though we're giving to God. But, but it is not because God needs us in terms of our money. That is not the thought. He, we give to God because this is a benefit to how mankind, is. the church is maintained and so forth on, on the ground. It has nothing to do with what God needs. God is, this is part of his plan and that we are able to give. So we don't give to God so that we can get from him. We don't repay God. That's, that's not how it works. That's the wrong motivation. That's why he says, we don't give out of necessity. We don't give to God and say, oh, well, God needs this. This is why I'm giving it to him. Now, the tithe, again, was not so much. Even though, will a man rob God? He's talking about Israel, obviously. That's not the church. And robbing God, not giving to God. Why? Because that was, uh, that there may be meat in mine house. This is part of all the tribes had uh, a way to sustain themselves, but not the tribe of Levi. So the tribe of Levi was to, was supposed to receive the tithe from the brothers or the other tribes. So the way God set it up, it is not because God has some storehouse in heaven that he just is, has loaded up. Not like the Catholic, I shouldn't be talking about the Catholic Church, but how rich they are. But uh, they have tremendous wealth from all this Thing, all the money that they've collected over the years. I know I'm off the subject here. But the thought is, we cannot repay God. Just think about it. We can't, there's nothing, when we give, to, whether it's monetarily or we give our time, our energy, we're not repaying God. Even if we do what is right, we're not paying, we're not paying God. That's, that's not how it works wrong motivation. So this verse is also rhetorical. Who has ever given to God and who and, and that God should repay him? Nobody. Nobody has. And everything that, that we have comes from God. Point B. God is not like us. Man is naturally in a place of humility. So if we look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11, uh, let's go there. Are you know these verses, they're not new. 
9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here you have a man exalted to this position. But he's not just any man. He's the God-man, Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is not just any man, but look at the elevation that God has. Says, listen, you can't elevate divinity. <laughs> divinity is already elevated to the highest place there is. It's divinity. He is God. But what God did with Christ, and this is the glorified humanity of Christ. He, he put him in this high place above everything. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge. So this is God elevating a man. So just think about this for a second. My point B is God is not like us. Man is naturally in the place of humility. But look at this. Look at what God has done. He's kind of turned the tables here. He's reversed things out. I mean, if you think about what he's saying here, because maybe you thought, oh, well, this is the reason why Jesus is in this place is because he's God. No, this is because he did what he was supposed to on earth. He fulfilled the Father's purpose. Are, are you sure? Yes. Look, looking back at verse 7, rather he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Who's him? He's the man, Christ Jesus. So, the divinity of Christ. Well, we don't have to talk about the divinity or the word. You know, they were all, they're already exalted. God is exalted, period. God cannot be debased in any way. He's already fully exalted. And there's nothing uh, where he will take a second position uh, to anything because he's God. His, his nature is God. But now we have the God man. So not only is God, Jesus in his divinity, he always was God, always will be God, and can't be anything else but God. But he is also man in his human nature. But what about his human nature? Well, God exalted him to the highest place as well. So there you have. So look, and this is why I say in point B, naturally, we, we don't see ourselves in this way. We, we see man as second, not even when you think about it, we see man as subservient, in a place of humility, not exalted and every knee would bow. How could every knee bow to a man? Hmm. So we haven't started talking about the fact that we he is also the last Adam, and we are part of who he is now. You know, we'll have to talk about that. 
point C in our notes. But we see Jesus. And this is a quote from 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness, godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness, true godliness. So, and this talks about the sojourn of the person of Christ where it says, um, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was where he says, he appeared in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, preached on in the nations and so forth. What a verse that captures quite a bit of the history of our Lord Jesus Christ. So point D, point D. I think we're going to be able to finish this. Uh, God is the creator, and we are created. You must recognize the majesty of God. This is Romans 1.25. Let's look at this, Romans 1 and 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So this is, uh, this is the fact that when we look at God, we can recognize who God is. We see him through the things he's done. We can recognize uh, that, uh, how does it say it here? Um, for since the creation, this is verse 20, Romans 1, 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood uh, from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Although they knew God, they, they, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this is how uh, oftentimes man interacts with God. So we're going to read this one also, this one verse in Job uh, Actually, I have it as John, but correct your notes, because really it's Job, sorry, Job 42, 1 through 6. Let's go there. 42. Now, we talked about watch out who who's speaking and all that, right? Well, now, uh, this is Job replying. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter of Job. But what, you could, what you'll realize is that after those three testified, Job has been testifying in between. So God says, okay, Job, stand up like a man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to question you. So he does that in 40 and 41, all the way up to 42, and to where Job begins his reply. Listen to what he says. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? 
Surely I know of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job recognizes his humility before God. He recognizes that he has, uh, maybe he thought he knew God, but after God spoke to Job, Job realized, who am I to even talk back to you, God? Who I, I should shut up when you speak. I shouldn't even open my mouth to reply to you because of who I am and who you are. So there is tremendous distance between God and man. This is my point all throughout the Old Testament. But what we have in this New Testament with this mystery is God coming so near to us, even like it says, that they may be one Father, even as you are in me and I am in you. So with that... We're going, we're going to save this last phrase for next week. And next week, we'll, so we'll do this last phrase. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We'll save that. And plus we'll do a, a review of uh, Romans chapter 11. I think we owe it to Romans chapter 11 to just go over again some of the highlights that we have discussed not that we uh, I mean some of them are still so fresh in our minds but I think some of them need a bit of uh, rehearsing again and then um, so we'll have that next week plus we'll finish this last verse which is uh, point number three here so that's uh, that's where we'll end this week and uh, we'll pause to see if there are any thoughts any ideas any questions that are on the table i will the floor i will i will pause and the floor is open yeah you had uh, made a statement uh, in your discourse um about Satan being the, the cause of all of this. Um, can you just elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, I... From, 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 from the statement that you gave. Yeah, I was, I was talking about it from the, con, the, the thought of original sin. And, not, and really, Satan is not the cause of all of this. I mean, God... Uh, his plan is the cause of all of this. In his plan, uh, God created creatures with free will. Uh, Satan or Lucifer was one of those creatures. And so we were talking about, I think, original sin. And my thought was, Adam, yeah, he, he was original sin for the human race. But the original sin came... From Satan, or we, we, he wasn't Satan at the time. He was Lucifer. I, and I gave the quote. I, I, I quoted Isaiah fourteen fourteen, 
right? That helps us understand um, Satan's thinking, right? That's part of it. So this is what it says. Um, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. How could a creature, as I said, uh, how could a created being not see the majesty, authority, and power of God? Only a mind and will, overwhelmed by arrogance, could conceive of challenging the source of all life. So I gave, uh, in, the, in that context, so, so the reality is, say, even though Satan really is credited with what we call the original sin, not for the human race. Adam committed the original sin for the human race. And we should note that Lucifer's original sin did not have the same effect that it did in the human race. Other angels were coaxed into committing or siding with, with Lucifer and uh, his rebellion against God. So that's, I think that's the context in which we, we spoke about it. I'll pause. Yeah, I just wanted to clear that up. And uh, also, you, you mentioned um, where Satan, uh, even though the shape that he was in, he did believe in God. And man, portions of men on the earth don't believe in God. Um, it, it just brought me to the, to the fact that Christ came to save not the angels, but humanity. That's right. That's right. Um, people often quote James where it says the devils also believe and tremble. Is that what you're referring to? Not so much as the fact that we know that Christ didn't come for the angels. He came for, for humanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, the fact that, so the fact that Satan believed in God, I mean, God didn't salvation for the angels. Yeah, yeah, I, I see, I think I, I think I see where you're going. Uh, let me just see if I can clarify, at least just lay it out there. So, um, when we, when we have this the opening story of the Bible, and uh, if you think about it, God created everything that was good. He restored the earth, for man's habitation, he created man. He put him in the Garden of Eden. But he also, he says, he says, of every tree you may freely eat, but the tree that is in the middle of the garden, you may not eat of it. If you do, here are the consequences. And what we learned is Satan, through the serpent, has access to that tree. So you might say, well, how? And he's not... He's not uh, Lucifer, son of the morning, right? He's, at this point, he's Satan, which is, he's against God at this point. So this is not at a point of, of history where uh, already angels have made decisions to rebel against God. So by the time uh, man falls and Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, his, whatever happens with angels or is going to happen with angels has already happened. And, uh, like it says, the lake of fire was prepared 
for the devil and his angels. So they're going to the lake of fire. We don't know what the redemption plan was for angels or what it consisted of or what happened with angels. We don't know. But all we do know is Satan is the declared enemy of God. Um, he will be consigned to the lake of fire. And it's at the end of human history. I don't think there's nothing that we can do to re anybody can do to reverse that, including Satan himself. And we know that God allowed Satan into the garden to, apparently, to tempt Adam and the woman. So Adam fell and plunged the world into sin. Not only the, uh, the world, but all of his descendants would have the result. So that, that's where we are. I think, I think when we talk about Lucifer... So the redemption plan, whatever was to happen with angels, by the time we show up on the scene, has already happened. And so we could, we, we're not to really think in terms that Satan, um, you know, that redemption is for Satan or his angels or it already happened. Right? It's, or, or, or should we say it another way, that ship has sailed. <laughs> Your thought, other thoughts out there? Yeah, you, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, you mentioned uh, uh, scripture, First uh, Corinthians chapter two, mm -hmm. verse six, and uh, <clears throat> in reading, you know, I read these scriptures, you know several times in the past and you know i think that the way i had understood it previously uh not just now mm -hmm. I, I had seen this before but uh uh first corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says what no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things god has prepared for those who love him i think most people uh, in religious or Christian circles, thinking that, that that refers to something in the heavenly state once we get into heaven. I think that's the way a lot of Christians look at that. And I think, you know, for sure, they're not talking about the wisdom of the Spirit uh, and the mystery. And specifically, that's talking about the wisdom that's available to Christians right now. To believers through the spirit the uh in other words the the mystery mm -hmm. and it's you know i was thinking it says that those rulers um of that age had they known what they were doing they would not have crucified the lord of glory mm -hmm. uh, and it also says talks about them in a previous verse that they're coming to nothing so you really could add today, this is 2,000 years ago that Paul wrote this information through the inspiration of the Spirit. And they never saw it. They never understood the mystery. And to this day, they don't understand this glory that he's talking about that's available through the Spirit for all Christians in this age, this wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, 
common is, you know, it could be the rulers of that age, if they had understood it, you could also add the Christians of this age, had they understood it. Right. Or if they understood it. That's right, yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Go right in. No, I just wanted to comment on that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's those verses are pivotal, and Paul is saying a, a lot. And you know what that, what no eye has seen and no no mind has you know conceived, uh, or your ear heard. Mm -hmm. Those things are available to us now through That's the Spirit. Right. That's right. Yeah. This is not a something that's a future glory in heaven or however you imagine it. But uh, this is this is right now wisdom that's right. available. So w w it wasn't made known to the rulers of this age, right? This Now, when it says that, the rulers of this age... Yeah, because it was hidden from them. Well, it was hidden from them, although... Um, I tell you, they were right on the cusp of receiving this information. And some of the Pharisees did believe after, right? And some some believed before and some believed after the resurrection. But um, when you think about this thought, the rulers of this age, so we're talking about those who were the caretakers of the Old Testament revelation. So this is... This is the highest knowledge, you could say, in terms of revelation in the world. It wasn't to people who... We're talking the Jewish nation, right? This is Israel. God gave Israel the law. He gave Israel, uh, you know, the reflection of his righteous standard. And so, so we're not talking about like some Gentile nations and what they knew. We're talking about everything God had already invested in Israel. And with all of that information, it was hidden. They didn't know. And they crucified the Lord of glory. So if they had known what they were doing, I'm sure they wouldn't have done it. Maybe we could say it that way. But there was a resistance that they had with God. But he's really talking about Israel. None of the rulers understood it. If they really understood this, would they, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. No, it wasn't given to them. That's why when we talk about those of ancient, those of ancient times, this, goes, this was a quote from Isaiah 64.4, which says, since, since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So Paul takes that, that phrase and he fashions it to apply to this information which was hidden from the human race. It's a mystery, right? God, this is a mystery. It's destined for our glory before time began. But in verse 10, as you correctly point out, it is not something inscrutable or something that we ought to just look at and say, wow, nobody can figure out this stuff or who God is and this and that. But no, verse 10, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And when we talk about the spirit, we're talking about what happened at Pentecost. So uh, 
So this is not something that is, we'll understand it better by and by, uh, when the morning comes. This is information that is supposed to be understood and apprehended now while we're here because it pertains to us. Like it says, this is this wisdom was destined for our glory. So we don't want to push this off to the future and say, yeah, well, we just keep on going on with, our, with the way things have been. And but when God has this, the most sensational, the most glorious, stupendous information has been given and we just kind of shrug it off as though it is just not important or significant at all. It doesn't move us. It should move us. It should, we should pay, sit up in our chairs and pay attention that God has given us something of great value here. He considers it great value. So yeah, I, I see your point. Um, and unfortunately, this is what, what people, I don't know why people haven't, they read verse 9, but they won't read verse 10 and following. I don't know why that is. It's not logical, spiritually speaking, to me, to, to just look at that verse and marvel about how far God is above us when God has revealed these things to us by means of his spirit even the deep things of God. So yes, this information is available. It's for us. And I think, as I said previously, not only are we going to be held accountable for this information, but I think we, as a church, as those who have boots on the ground right now, need to be holding responsible others who are not walking in this truth or not understanding or walking in this truth. I think we need to begin to hold them responsible, at least to make sure that they see the connection between verses 9 and 10. Right? So do, do, how can we not read? I, 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 just tell me, am I missing something? Am I stretching these things beyond their boundaries by associating verse 9 with verse 10? Have I done that? If I haven't, and this is the right way to read this, then we should want to know what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or has entered into the human mind. We should want to know. This has got to be the most, the, the greatest disclosure of information ever. So, I'll pause. Thank you. Um, just one more thing I had to ask about, and that's uh, you went over uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 10, I believe it is, mm -hmm. going there now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It says, um, this is something else that I think is, that I, and I just realized that uh, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth now i haven't i didn't get a chance to thoroughly check out the the greek on this should because every translation uh renders it should not will as i think is quoted as will bow uh so could you 
what exactly, in other words, because of Christ's victory, God has uh, given him a name above every name, and because of his status uh, for who he is, people should bow or they will bow. They will bow. And actually the word is bow, right? So if you look at some of the other versions out there, uh, like let's say the, the NET, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Or we look at um, a lot of verses will say should bow, but a, a lot of translations. I'm just looking at Weist. See what Weist has to say about this. Uh, he says should bow. Every knee should bow. I don't think should is something that is not definitive. Every knee may bow. This is one. Um, when I look at the Greek, it doesn't really say, like, for instance, should bow is just the word uh, for bow. Right. So it just, it's, just, it's just a verb means to bend or to bow. Right? That's, that's the word. Camp toe. And then the word for knee is not something that expresses should or, or will. It is just knee, right? So uh, it says the knee, K-N-E-E, -E, that's all it is. So knee and bow. So they're just using those words to round out the verse. Right? I, I, that's the only thing um, we can understand. So every... So should and should and every are not really in the original here? Uh, no, every... Well, every is in the original. That's pas. But every knee bow. Right? That's what it says. But people have used will bow, should bow. They put those things in, those words in uh, to sort of help with the translation of the words. It's not... So, like I said, the NET Bible just says will bow. Right? It's just so the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. So, so there, um, there are a couple verse, uh, versions that will just say will bow, but most of them will say should bow. And, and whichever one, I don't think either way. Um, and let's look at the 11. Let's look at 11. Here's another example of it. Every tongue should confess. Well, what about that one? Uh, every that every tongue confess. So let's look at the Greek in there. So it says, and every tongue. So the word tongue is glossa, should confess. And it so it just says, the word is just to acknowledge, agree fully, confess, pro profess. It's, so it's not should, but remember, should is put in there for the purpose of uh, clarity, just to to make it. And make it more understandable. And every, here the NET, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord. That's the NET. It's kind of literal. And, but every tongue may confess that Jesus Christ. Somebody put may in there. You see what I'm saying? Hopefully you understand that. Yeah, the NIV, the NIV says acknowledge. Yeah. And every time acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. So the some, glory of God to earth. But some translations put should in there. 
they all they all that they will all confess Jesus is Lord. But like for instance, uh, the NIV, yeah, they they left should out in the this. They just said every tongue acknowledge. But if you look at the King James version or the New King James version, they said and that every tongue should confess. Right. So you see, they added these words sort of just to make it look, you know. Here's the ESV, and every tongue confessed. They left out should or may or whatever, you know. So those words are not definitive in changing the meaning that every tongue certainly will confess. This is, we're talking about the highest authority of those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, those who are under the earth. Every place people are, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the highest authority there is. So uh, every knee will bow. And there's no, the word should is not there, it's added. Yeah. I'll pause. All right, so it's great questions, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, we will save a little time for you. It's uh, we're eight minutes. I'll give back to you. Um, and we'll close it out. But next week, please, I ask. I can't do it without you, so please, let's do this. Next week, we'll be done with Romans 11, and we'll have a review. And maybe, who knows? might look at the beginning of Romans 12. We'll see how it goes. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We appreciate the calling that you have given us in this age and all the implications of who we are in Christ uh, as new creations and those who are united with him in this very special and unique relationship. And Father, we pray for those who are here, uh, their extended families. We pray for those who are in pain, financially or otherwise. We pray for the Haddon family, especially still struggling at this hour. And Father, as those things that are on our hearts, we bring to you so that we can have peace. And that you, we know that everything will work out according to your perfect will. We thank you for those who have come and we pray that you will bring us back next week as we continue our focus in the book of Romans. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right.